This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by eight amazing people. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Michael Fritschke, Dr. O in Teberg, and Doug Malam. Thank you all so very much for helping make this show possible. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight I am joined by Super Saxon Inframan. <laughs> That's my favorite version of that now. <laughs> Super Saxon Inframan? Super Saxon Inframan. The more words and like, uh, <laughs> you know, adjectives I can get in there, the better. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so tonight we're just, we're going to wander all over the place is what we're going to do. Um, and I have a couple of news articles. I got a listener story. I have some comments from listeners, uh, and a few other things I've dug up here that I wanted to talk about. Awesome. And I think, yeah, I think this one's, we're going to start with this one. Okay. Because this is a news article that I think is, is rather important. Uh, this came out September 19th, 2023, and it said, Study reveals a big driver of false memories. We are prone to false memories. One reason is that we are biased toward remembering tidy endings for events, even if they didn't exist. And this, is, this was posted, uh, I guess the site is bigthink.com. Okay. And it says, oh, the key takeaways are, a key driver of false memories is the brain's bias to recall events in ways that conform to what usually happens. Thus, we can misremember events that don't fit with how the brain expects them to play out. In a new study, researchers tested whether subjects would form more false memories about a storyline that doesn't follow a typical beginning-middle-end structure. Their hypothesis was correct. When trying to remember video clips without a clear conclusion, subjects would unknowingly fabricate one. Interesting. Well, it, what's fascinating even by that like uh, statement is it's like a different kind of bias. It's not just like your preferred way for things to go, but the way they typically would be or we right. would expect, which is interesting because, you know, if you're aware you have biases on things, you know, like if you and I were talking about an argument that uh, we had with somebody is like, well, he said that and I got mad about this and I said this thing, you know, I, I'm aware that I may have gotten angry and, and you know, changed the, the tone of things. Right. Right. Uh, but, you know, you can't factor for that kind of bias, I don't think, as easily if it's something that's just what you sort of typically would expect to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. There, there, there's something a little like more broad and less uh, uh, subjective to that in a way. And I mean, I, I the, the one paranormal experience I kind of did had that happen with I re was the, the tree shaking. That uh -huh, there there uh -huh. was nothing there and we saw the tree shaking. And my one friend who had numerous experiences with me is the one who didn't see the tree shaking. Mm -hmm. And my brain just went, no, he must have been the one who saw the tree shaking. The other person never had any paranormal experiences. Right, right. You know, so my brain kind of corrected it. It got everything else dead on. And when I read the, the, the record of it, I was like, oh, huh. And I yes. totally knew why my brain did that because it just made more sense. 
but it was right. wrong. Right, right. And yeah, 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 exactly. And it's interesting because that's not like an emotional influence. That's no. just logically this is what should have happened. Right. Or yeah, huh. So that's they, fascinating. They say false memories arise because the human brain is fundamentally a recreation engine. And I like that. Absorbing yes. data from our senses and construction, constructing a perception of reality rather than displaying a raw one. This neurological assembly is ongoing, meaning our memories are untrustworthy at first and downright dubious days, weeks, months, and years down the road. Wow. A key driver of false memories is the brain's bias to recall events in a way that conform to what usually happens. Reality, after all, is predictable, so the brain attempts to predict it both to save resources and provide us with a streamlined perception. In research published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology, psychologists at the University of Sussex revealed this bias in a clever way. In five slightly different experiments, they showed hundreds of subjects dozens of short videos. Some videos had a coherent beginning, middle, and end, while others were cut short by a scene or two. For example, one video showed a pitcher throwing a baseball to a batter. In the full version, the batter hits the ball, and then we see the fans cheering. On the other hand, the shortened version ended as the pitch was on its way. Additionally, in one of the experiments, videos had added scenes that briefly introduced new storyline with the same characters, so the structure was beginning, middle, and beginning. Uh, in some experiments, subjects were asked to recall the clips immediately after viewing the videos, while in others, their memories were tested one week later. The researchers hypothesized oh, no. that partici participants would have a harder time accurately recalling incomplete videos or videos that introduced a new storyline because they do not conform to the typical beginning, middle, end structure. The results confirmed their hypothesis. Participants who viewed videos that didn't have tidy conclusions tended to have more false memories. Those who watched incomplete videos often fabricated endings. In the baseball video, for instance, they misremembered seeing the batter swing and miss or hit the ball. On the other hand, those that watched videos and started a new scene tended to completely forget the addition. False memories were more common for subjects who watched videos without a traditional beginning, middle, and end structure, regardless of whether they were asked to call the videos immediately or one week later. In one experiment with delayed recall, 42.5% of subjects who viewed incomplete videos remembered details that didn't happen, while only 8.2% of subjects who viewed complete videos did. In another with uh, immediate recall, 8.4% of the subjects who viewed the incomplete videos remembered details that didn't happen, while only 0.3% of the subjects who viewed complete videos did. Uh, these experiments highlight how people are biased to recall events as having well-defined endpoints, even when that conflicts with what they actually experienced. Huh. So, you know, this is interesting to me, too, because, and, and I'll say this to everybody, I, I, I am not a writer or anything like that, but I've always thought it would be great to do some interesting, you know, uh, pop fiction with a lot of the high strangeness that we talk about mixed in. Mm -hmm. But it's hard for me to conceive of like, you know, high strangest events for a short story because I want it to be logical in some way. And a lot of high strangeness is high strangeness because it's not logical. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things that even makes, you know, a lot of high strange this hard to report uh, because people fill in gaps and things that may not have happened. Uh, 
Uh, and that's always why I've been really, you know, I admire how John Keel can document things because he could write stuff down that didn't need, uh, uh, he didn't fill in things for you in Mothman prophecies. Right. You just right. state what happened. And I, I think that for a lot of folks, there would be an inclination to give more of a narrative around beginning, middle and end where Keel did such a good job of documenting things that when he would put it in the book, it was like, you know, this happened to Woody Derenberger. And then a whole bunch of phone calls came to my hotel room with nobody on the other end. Right. And that's it. You know, there's no and it made me feel this way. And then this happened. It's just like weird stuff happened. Um, and that I think that's what gives you that sort of creepy Oz feel to a lot of these things because it, it doesn't fit the way we think. True. Uh, True. Yeah. And, and, and I, I have a strong belief too, that our brains are meant to think in story and that's why yes. mythology is so important to us. And so, yeah, we're, we're going to turn something into a story even when it's not. So th this also comes from the big think website. Uh, our expectations can create false short term memories. Okay. It says memory is not static. Instead, it is reconstructive, which I, I hope people understand that by now, because I mean, for so long we were, it was treated like our brains were computers. Um, yes. Which means that people actively alter the information they remember. It was thought that short-term memory is not subjected to this sort of distortion, but a series of experiments suggest that even short-term memories involving the letters of the alphabet can be distorted by prior expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, about 90 years ago, the British psychologist Frederick Bartlett published a landmark study that permanently changed how we think about memory. Taking inspiration from Chinese whispers, a.k.a. the children's game telephone, he asked his participants to read a Native American story called War of the Ghosts and tell it to others, each of whom was then asked to retell it to someone else. Bartlett noticed the story changed with, with each retelling. The story was unfamiliar to the participants, and so they adapted and embellished it in line with their own cultural knowledge. Bartlett therefore concluded that memory is reconstructive and that people actively alter the information they remember according to their existing biases and expectations. Mm -hmm. um, testing short-term memory. Uh, short-term memory refers to the ability to retain small amounts of information for short periods of time. It is thought to have a capacity of about seven items, which can be retained and used for about 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, this information can be transferred to long-term storage if rehearsed for longer. Otherwise, it is forgotten. Uh, Martin, or no, Mart, Marte Otten of University of Amsterdam and her colleagues set out to investigate whether prior knowledge can reshape perceptions across the short time scale. Um, in four experiments, participants saw displays containing small sets of real letters and mirrored, mirrored pseudo letters, such as C in it, like a mirror C. Okay. Each display appeared for one quarter of a second after which a memory probe that focused their attention to a specific location was presented. They then saw a second letter display and were asked to report the letter that had appeared in the probe's location in the first display. They were also asked to assess their confidence in the answer, which is very confusing. Um, the researchers observed a high rate of what they call memory illusions, where participants consistently reported seeing the real letter counterpart in the location of a pseudo letter. These illusions occurred even though the letters had just disappeared from their vision, and even when the participants were highly confident of their answers. Furthermore, the pseudo to real letter illusions occurred more frequently than real to pseudo letter illusions leading Otten and colleagues to conclude that the illusions are the result of the participants' expectations after lifelong exposure to letters of the alphabet. Um, 
The Interesting. Yeah, the researchers explain their findings in terms of predictive coding, according to which top-down information influences our perceptions and thought processes. In other words, our perceptions don't occur in a vacuum. They are influenced by our memories because people have an extensive experience with the letters of the alphabet. Our brains predict what we will see uh, as real letters, not pseudo-letters, even when sensory information shows otherwise. Mm. So when we, when, when we take that kind of thing and we apply it to the paranormal, right? this may be why some people see stuff and some people don't see stuff, you know, because you're not, you're not getting the full spectrum of what's there ever. Your brain right. is giving right. you just a small, it's a filter basically. And looking at this, you're seeing that the brain filters based on expectations. So maybe when you go to a haunted house, you're more likely to have an experience because your brain is, is going to interpret things as that experience. Right. Whereas when you have someone who's maybe sensitive to this stuff and someone who's not, one of them may see something and the other won't. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's just a matter of the way our brain is filtering reality around us. I mean, I honestly think that, I mean, the term paranormal is just, I mean, it's a bad term. I mean, it, it yeah. we know what, what we're talking about when we say it, but I think that this stuff is an intrinsic part of life mm -hmm. and it only becomes obvious when big paranormal events happen. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, you know, and, and you and I have talked about this before in the show too, with like, what would be a better term for it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, for a while, I think you and I both talked about rare normal instead of paranormal, but there's right. a lot of baggage and, and that doesn't really do the phenomenon justice either. Um, I was having a discussion with a, a friend the other day, you know, at, at where I live in the South, like people are getting ready for deer season and things like that. And, uh, uh, my friend had never been a hunter at all. And he was like, I don't understand why orange is worn in the woods. Wouldn't the deer see that? He goes, maybe they don't see that. And, and deer don't, they see orange in the same shades that they see greens. So okay. orange can be perceived as green to them. So it looks the same if you've got on, you know, an orange vest with tree pattern on it and the rest of your camouflage is tree pattern, they're going to read it the same and it breaks up the image the same way. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And so, but anyway, I, I say that to just point out that, you know, that that's sort of like a smaller uh, model of, you know, kind of what you're talking about, how we perceive things. We don't see, you know, all of the ways that light bounces off of objects we've only got so many rods and cones in our yeah. eyes yeah and the way those things are geared for survivability uh or, or why we have the ones that we have um and if we could probably see more of the spectrum some of the things that we think are pretty we might be like man that's an ugly color <laughs> you know um <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are some peoples in africa uh and then people you know folks can look this up and educate themselves better because I'm going to do a horrible job at it. But uh, uh, some of the peoples in Africa that uh, keep herds of cows have like 30 shades of brown in their language. Okay. Because they can differentiate between the 30 shades of brown. Um, and part of that's from like cultural input, of course. But, yeah. you know, if you and I looked at it because we haven't ever needed to differentiate it, you know, we wouldn't see all of those shades. We would probably see a couple. You know, uh, so and that goes to priming yourself, like if you expect to see something versus don't expect to see something in a way. Right, right, exactly. And I mean, on the same token, there are people who are colorblind, you know, or right. whatever. 
and people who could see more than a normal amount of colors. You know, there's mm-hmm. that there's that mm-hmm. average in the middle uh, that that identifies most people, but both ends of the spectrum are seeing something slightly different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as for that uh, Chinese whispers thing, I was listening to a talk on uh, neurodivergency and uh, particularly autism. And I guess they had done an experiment with um, autistic people doing uh, a telephone game with and without non-autistic people. Okay. And they said that the results were, if, if I'm recalling this right, because I don't have it in front of me, the if a, if a non-autistic person was, if it was all non-autistic people, it would vary, you know, X amount, like say 10% by the end. Uh-huh. If it was a mix of autistic and non-autistic people, it would vary like by 50% by the end. Wow. But if it was all autistic people, it would only vary by like 5% by the end. Yeah. Oh, and that's it, fascinating. And it was demonstrating that, you know, um, one of the things autism, I, I, if I, again, if I'm remembering right, one of the things autism does is, is people who are autistic play, pay more attention to detail. Yeah, And there's also a gulf of how we see reality between someone who is and isn't neurodivergent or autistic. Mm-hmm. And the argument being that this is not so much a, a uh, it's not a uh, problem. It, the, the problem is reality is not set up for autistic people. Like our culture oh. is not set mm-hmm. up for autistic people. It's mm-hmm. not that there's mm-hmm. something wrong with autistic people. It's that they're expected to behave and be able to deal with things the same way a non-autistic person can. Right, right. But their perceptions, what they're bringing in is different than someone who Mm -hmm. is not autistic. It's not something you cure, essentially, but something that it just, you you perceive reality in a different way. Right, you're just gathering information in a different way. Uh, You know, and then I had seen some speculation. I didn't go very far down this road. Uh, And so... It, it may have been tossed out, but there was a thought that what we consider to be autism was a certain type of specialization that was good for uh, certain groups of people uh, mm. to survive um, because you had one person or, or two people that had a different way of taking in information. You know, and I'm thinking like, you know, pre-agricultural days here. Um, right. And because right. they had a different perspective, they were able to provide a different role, you know, in your your like family groups or your, what it, I guess we would call it like a tribe maybe. Um, but that was actually something that came about as a intentional benefit through evolution. Um, but it doesn't need to be everybody. It just needs to be certain people. And then that was understood back then. Yeah. And, and we, we have a culture that is very monastic. It's like, this is normal. Everything else is abnormal and thus bad. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So if you, if you have trouble with it, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And unfortunately that, that limits, puts limitations on a lot of people and limits a lot of, uh, diversity in our, in our world. Yes, absolutely. Um, the so what was the paranormal thing I was going to say here? I lost track of it. Uh, oh, fe- <laughs> fe- the, the the way it threads through everything too. You know, again, I think it's you know I have people who are like, oh, you know, I've never I've never had a, a paranormal experience. I've never, you know, I follow my gut instincts and they're always wrong and stuff like that. And I'm like, that doesn't that that means maybe you, this is just something you're not good at. You know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you're listening to the wrong thing. Um, right. <laughs> I, 
I've thought about that a lot. And, and, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting, too, like if you develop a trauma from something that happened, um, you know, it, it'll override your intuition. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. You know, and so you'll you'll hear, you know, warning sirens all the time because yeah. of some type of traumatic response that would not be the same as, you know, if you could clear that feeling out and actually get, you know, a sense of your intuition or vibe from a situation or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's hard because I think all of us get traumas of different ways. But, you Absolutely. know, there's there's a there's a reason it's easier to do these things when you calm your mind and you relax and you breathe because it helps declutter that stuff uh, at least for a little while yeah so one of the things i wanted to talk about tonight and i'm going to jump into a little bit of it right here if i can find the note i took um so jason jason pargin's uh latest book from the john dies at the end series who uh michael frisky uh kindly Got me a copy of. Um, How cool. Actually, Michael has sent me a ton of books that hopefully will mostly make it onto this show one way or another. He just went through my Amazon wish list and he sent me a ton of really awesome things. Uh, oh, I saw that shelf where you had them all together. Yeah. Yeah. When, I, when I was last up. And it's it's yeah. grown it's grown since then. And I'm just like, I want to read all of these right now. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. That that was cool. That was very cool. Uh, you know, kudos to him, man. <laughs> it's uh, and the and the thing is, with I still have that brain fog, you know, and mm. it's mm. like from COVID, and like so sometimes I can sit down. Like I finished, I think both Mike's book and most of uh Mike Cleland's book and uh, most of a Michael Marshall Smith book in one night because for some reason I was clear headed and could read, and then mm. the next night I couldn't read anything. So it's it's mm -hmm. back and forth. But anyway, uh, I, I wanted to do a whole short show on this, but I think I'm just going to mix it into this show. Uh, so his okay. book is called, If This Book Exists, You're in the Wrong Universe. And uh, <laughs> this I quoted this part. It says, the devil is real, but he doesn't turn up with a red soot, suit and hooves. You have to imagine him like a disease that you can get. Pat, you get like a disease you can get. You pass it on and you don't even know it. Educated people don't call it the devil. They call it trauma. It rewires your brain, and it tries to spread itself down to the next generation and the one after that, the pain rolling down through time. Oh, that is cool and intense. Yes. This is what I like about his stuff. And and the fact that he is a, a kind of a jerk materialist is kind of like, why? You you have your, you know, like you have the pulse of this stuff, and you're, uh, we'll, we'll get to a little more of that in a bit. Uh, cause there's a few things I quoted out of there that I thought were really interesting. Um, but that, yes, I mean, trauma is, is such a part of our lives and it does pretty much affect everyone in some way, shape or form. You don't go through life without a little bit of trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, it, you, you never know how things affect people either. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've known a, a friend that, uh, had panic attacks in the middle of the night throughout his entire life. Because that's when his sister would like play pranks on him. Oh, <laughs> when he was growing up, you know, and so it wasn't even like a horrible thing, but because of the the setting and him being, you know, an adolescent, it got wired into his brain, and that was something that he never was able to really get out of his system. Huh? It, it you know, but it happened at the right time to be traumatic for him because you know when you're seven years old and somebody's like playing a prank on you in the middle of the night, like now you feel like there's somebody breaking into your house trying to kill you or something. Right, right, right. You know, yeah. And then so yeah, like that. That's just one of those things. He's like, yeah, that was my sister. I really appreciate that. <laughs> 
Well, at least being able to identify it gives you at least something to work on. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's definitely been times in my life where something will set me off. I'll either get panicky about it or uh, upset about it or something. And I'll be like, why is that upsetting me? You know, and then it's like, and then I'll have to trace it back. And it might still, you know, once I figure out, oh, it's because of this, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, it doesn't immediately make it go away. But at least then the next time it upsets me, I go, no, it's not the same thing. Right, right. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily make the feeling go away, but at least you can like, it helps you to act in spite of it. Right, right. And eventually it starts to lessen, at least with me, because I remind myself constantly, no, this is a different thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, so I, I saw, and I, I wish I could remember who had said this, and I, it's a lot of places, I think, but it was pointing out that often intuition is quiet and trauma is loud. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, that that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Um, okay, so I wanted to get to this listener story. I have literally one listener story. People are like, oh, why don't you do a listener stories episode? Well, only one person sent me one we haven't dealt with yet. So if you have a story that you want us to read on the air, stories at wheredidtheroadgo.com is the place to send them. I do have a few people who are going to come on to talk about their stories, but as far as just, you know, reading stories and talking about them, I literally have this one right here. And this is from Catherine. And she says, this happened on the 5th of July, 2023. I live in a, uh, a no, A-N-A-A, oh boy, I can't even, I can't even spell what I'm reading. A-N-A-U, Southland, New Zealand. Um, I got home from work around 9 p.m. I let my dog outside the front door around 9.30 and through another door to the right of our front door that goes out to the backyard. I read that wrong. Let me try that again. I let my dog outside the front door around 9.30, and th- oh, and then let the dog out through another door to the right of our front door that goes into the backyard. Okay. Um, as I opened the door to the backyard, I looked across the road, and for no other reason than I always look down the driveway uh, in the night in hopes that I don't see a person lurking around out there. Yeah. I saw a very unusual light in the sky for about four or five meters. Or oh, man, I saw a very unusual light in the sky about four or five meters above the house across the road. The house across the road is just an average distance away from my house in a suburban neighborhood. I call it a light, but I really don't think it was a light. I don't know what it was. It reminded me perhaps of a big piece of metal that was crushed into a roundish shape, and parts of it were. Hot enough to be red hot, and other parts were not. It was kind of jagged around the edges. I noted triangular and other unrecognizable shapes. I say crushed metal because that is the only thing that came to mind that could get red hot. There was no obvious shape, and it was not moving. I saw it for maybe five seconds at the very most, and then it was gone. It didn't shoot away, and it didn't gradually vanish. It was just not there anymore. The night was clear, and I could see the stars. I kept looking out the window, hoping to see it again, but I didn't. And then she says, I listened to your July 8th uh, show where Suzanne talked about the orange thing in the sky, and I couldn't believe it because it sounds very much like what I saw. I just cannot get a clear picture in my mind of what it was I saw because it was only a few seconds. Yeah. So, you know, I was wondering, did, and I, I can't remember how Suzanne described that, but it was it kind of like my image in my head was this looked like a fractal. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. I was thinking fireball, but maybe not. Well, and, and fireball makes sense too if you're talking about something red hot. I was I was trying to account for like the the crumpled thing in my head, and I was like, huh, I wonder if that could be fractally. 
Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. This one, I, I'm Suzanne's the one. I'm not sure. Oh, mm, I see. I see. Like hers, I th- I thought was a fireball, but it's it's you know been a couple of months since she's been on with, talking about it. Yeah, I think it was a fireball. Now that you mention it, Soraya. But, but clearly, whatever, however she described it, clicked clicked here. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I suppose if you had like undulating plasma or something like that, you know, yes. that would actually yes, effect. that that huh. that is a very good point. Plasma can very much look like hot metal. Uh, yeah, and it and it can assume weird forms. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't tell you why it's there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and it's definitely preferable to a strange person standing in your driveway. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think so. I think so. I mean, like uh, I, like I've said before, I'm not really scared of the weird stuff. I'm I'm more worried about people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. If you see somebody on the uh, road outside of your house in the middle of the night or your driveway, that's a lot creepier than you know a strange light going by. You're like, yeah, it's probably not going to come in my house. <laughs> the light's probably not going to hurt me. Yeah. Don't or try to. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I've told this story before, but, uh, when I was probably like, this is in the, the heyday of unsolved mysteries, the early days of unsolved mysteries when it was a huge thing. And, uh, my cousin and I were out front of, uh, her house and this is out in the country and there's a old timber mill across the way. And so lots of open property. And, uh, we see this massive fireball coming across the sky and, uh, you know, we had been watching unsolved mysteries on TV inside with our parents. And so, you know, we're, we're definitely primed for, you know, Roswell Mm. and we ran in and got, you know, everybody to come out and see it. And uh, so like my mom's calling the, uh, you know, state police because she thinks there's a plane crashing and all this stuff. And it eventually turned out that, uh, um, it had been a satellite uh, debris coming in. Yeah, and it, it actually was not anywhere near us like it looked. It was, you know, like 80 miles away, but it was just, you know, the right perspective and the right light. Um, but, you know, it was creepy as can be when we saw it. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, cause, and especially since we were, you know, not even teenagers, you know, somewhere in your mind, you're like, did, did, the, did the UFO crash out there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are the aliens in the woods? You know, is this like the when they're hunting ET in the forest? <laughs> right. But but I would definitely take that over uh looking outside and seeing some like person standing in the door. <laughs> right, right. You know, like, yeah, I'd rather have the fireball. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if I'd rather have a Bigfoot. Mm. Bigfoot or fireball or Bigfoot or person in your doorway mm. or just on the other side of the door. Yeah. I, I, of all three, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, because the Bigfoot has the unknown component, but also the potential to hurt you. Yes. Yeah. So Bigfoot at a distance when you're driving. Okay. That's interesting. But Bigfoot, you know, like, like if you open the, you know, your, the window and look out your back door and Bigfoot staring in at you. Yeah. It's like, Oh crap. You know? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, and the thing about Bigfoot is like, you know, if, if Bigfoot is standing there and he wants to come into your house or it wants to come into your house, it can. Right. <laughs> right. Know, the glass is not going to stop it. That is that is a very good point. But yeah, um, I, you know, the thing with Sasquatch is always interesting to me, too, just from the diversity of perspectives on what it is, you know, and it being benevolent and, you know, this forest creature and. 
you know, you have some other things where, uh, you know, the, the concept of a hairy man is a very scary and not good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so I always had that in the back of my mind with like the, the concepts of like the beaver man and some other things where uh, you don't want to encounter that. Um, and so I'm always kind of curious if that's all supposed to be the same thing or if these things are different manifestations that we happen to think look similar. And of course, it, it goes down to our brain's expectations and, and what it does with things. That's true. Well, like yeah. I, like yeah. I've been saying for years, I mean, we may encounter something that is literally just a manifestation of consciousness without any particular form. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and our brain goes, oh, I don't know. It starts going through its Rolodex and it's like, it's an unknown. An unknown is scary. Mm-hmm. So what's scary? What's in my Rolodex that's scary? Well, monsters are scary. Mm-hmm. We're, we're looking mm-hmm. at a monster. And, you know, you're not consciously thinking these things, but your brain is trying to make that interpretation. It, ha- it has to fit it into the paradigm somewhere. Uh, or mm-hmm, or it mm-hmm. just ignores it completely like it's not there. Well, that we don't know what that is. We're just going to keep going. You don't need to know about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know what? It's better we just pretend we didn't see that. We won't tell you that you saw that. And and then, you know, like someone reports it. Oh, well, I ran into a lizard man in the woods. Uh, and then, you know, someone else encounters this same piece of consciousness and their, their brain goes, well, it must be that lizard man. Right. Yeah. And now you have a flap of lizard man sightings that eventually just fade away. And it's like, okay, was there ever really something that looked like a lizard man? Or did this thing just, you know, give us, or or did that first person give us something to apply the framework to? Or Mm -hmm. did it sort of co-create it after that first person encountered it? Right, right. Like it almost downloaded the skin onto it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because you have, uh, you know, David Weatherly talked about the the um, the old uh, plantation where people oh, would, yeah, yeah. would get pictures of this ghost and stuff, and mm-hmm. it turned out that mm-hmm. this person never existed, but mm-hmm. the pictures looked similar, you know. So the, the the actual photographic evidence of this supposed ghost looked, you know, like the same person, and that person never existed. Yeah, yeah. Was that the Myrtle Plantation? I, I think. I think so. Yeah, 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 and the. Yeah, there's no record of the person that everybody talked about ever being there. Yeah, the story was just made up. Yeah, but you've had thousands of people having experience, right? You know, around this thing. And 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 so yeah. when we look at the way our memory looks at things, how our how we perceive things, how this weird stuff works, it, it's I don't think we're looking at like, oh, here's normal reality and here's the weird paranormal stuff. I think it's all one flowing uh, web. It's mm-hmm. just that to some people, the synchronicities and coincidences stand out more than to other people. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the the occasional appearance of weirdness. Um, and sometimes, you know, like it almost seems like, I mean, we know there's a connection between trauma and people who are encounter prone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to me, I almost wonder if that's why they're encounter. Like, like this stuff is meant to almost try and help them in a way. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. we don't have again the right the right cultural interpretation to make it useful, right? That makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, I, it, and, and trauma is supposed to make you hyper aware because you're trying to be vigilant so it doesn't happen again. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I and on the talk I did for Strange Realities, I mentioned um, so in the Seattle Demon House with Keith Linder. Mm-hmm. There's a point where a Bible apports in front of their bedroom door. Oh wow! Like so, he opens the door and there's a a burning Bible there. Now, Steve Mira went and tried to, he took the same type of Bible because uh, he still had the the actual Bible. He took, and he tried to burn pages off of it, like to singe it, like it was singed how they found it. And he couldn't replicate it no matter what he did. 
because huh. it was it, the pages were so flammable. As soon as he touched the lighter to it, poof, they were just they just burn right up. Right. He's like, I have no idea. He tried all kinds of stuff. He's like, I don't know how to singe it like this. Right. And the one thing we know about apports is oftentimes when things have apported, they're very warm. So if you oh. so if you mm-hmm. have a Bible that apported, it might have been warm enough to singe the paper without actually lighting it on fire per se. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the interpretation of that is very different from opening your door and finding a Bible versus opening your door and finding a burning Bible. Right, right. Yeah, that seems uh, very easy to consider that like, oh, this is an evil experience, you know, or something demonic. Right. Or, and yeah, the, and something the, malign. Yeah. And the stuff became more demonic after that. Right. And, and so it's your initial perception steer it that way. Right. And and it may respond to those perceptions as well. That's why I'm saying like it's this it's this continual like give and take, this this web of energy that, that just goes through everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when you open your bedroom door and there's a burning Bible, you're thinking, Oh, it's, it's, this is something evil, you know, it's a demon or whatever, you know, and then more demonic stuff starts happening because you're putting that expectation into the environment. Right. Yeah, and it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and again, like if it was something that easily could have been faked, well, okay, you know, then then you have to at least accept that maybe you know, and maybe maybe Keith Linder did fake it and he found a way to do it without burning the pages. But I mean, my interpretation of that case, I don't think Keith was faking any of it, even though Ghost Adventures completely buried them when they did that show on them. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, talking to Steve Steve Mira, who is a very good investigator. Um, yeah, I mean, they were there like a week or maybe more than a week and got all kinds of weird stuff, um, which pretty much validated that, that there was something going on there and Keith was not making this stuff up. And I didn't get, I didn't get a vibe from Keith either when he was on the show that, that any of this stuff was, uh, you know, that he was lying about any of it. Right. Right. You know, there were no Uh, red flags. So yeah, you know, what's interesting with imagery like that too, is even if, you didn't have a, a background in that religion, it would still give you that same kind of terrified vibe, right? Oh, yeah, or, or yeah. Vibe, right? Like, um, you know, if a text from an Eastern religion showed up outside of my door, singe like that, my, my immediate thought would be like, oh, I've messed up. You know, something's not happy <laughs> here. Uh, you know, and I wouldn't even taking the time to think about apports are typically warm and how that might affect, you know, uh, something that was paper, you know, uh, very was thin. fragile or susceptible. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because yeah, if it, if it wasn't singed and it appeared outside my door, I'd be like, Oh, somebody wants me to read this or, right, right. you know, it's important to somebody that was here. <laughs> um, uh, and, and that, that's the other thing with like apports and stuff is that we don't know if it's it's our unconscious doing this stuff. Are we are we creating these apports? In some cases, it seems like we are. Um, or is there another entity involved? And, and it may be both. You know, and, yeah, uh, and both is always a possibility. I mean, I, I definitely vote for both. Um, yeah, either using the energy of the environment or us, but we're definitely playing a part in all this stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Now, one of one of the so I read this um clip when i was talking to marty garza i think it was on the patreon segment though so i wanted to get this out on the main show so i finished michael marshall smith's uh book bad things and uh i highly recommend it uh, michael marshall smith at this point is my favorite author he has outpaced dan simmons 
uh, and and Mike and uh, what should we call it, Parjan? Uh, his stuff is just. What was that? Oh, I was actually going to ask where where you're going with this, uh, like what what your favorite works of his are. But you're you're taking us there now. Well, every okay, so everything I've read from him has been great. The first book he wrote, Only Forwards, was good, but it was also his first novel. Uh, everything else, the 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 Strawman series, the Anomaly series, which he writes under Michael Rutger, um, just phenomenal. And he has he definitely he's been on the show twice to talk about this stuff. Even though he seems like he's kind of agnostic about it, maybe leaning toward, you know, not necessarily believing in it, he right. definitely has, like, the pulse of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when we were talking about, like, so, okay, so I, I talked about this on my Strange Reality Stuck as well. When we were up at the uh, Gettysburg Bridge, Tim and I, um, there's, there's a recording that when Tim and Chad were there at one point in Gettysburg, this bridge came alive when they were leaving. And the last thing was a bang that was, they said in person sounded like a gunshot. It was so loud. Oh, but wow. On the recording, it's just a quiet little thunk. Oh, wow. So while I was there, I stomped on the bridge. And then we listened back to it later, and it sounded like I stomped on the bridge. And so I started thinking, like, okay, so we see these lights, we hear these sounds. And like, you know, you'll see a light and it's this huge ball of light and, you know, you take a picture and you got a pinpoint mm-hmm. or you hear a noise like that. And, and in person, it's really loud. But then when you listen to the recording, it's not loud at all. And I wonder if our senses, you know, our, our brain is, is it's picking up more. It knows there's more to that bang. It knows there's more to that light, but it doesn't know how to tell you that. Yeah. So it emphasizes it. It makes it seem louder or brighter or something to that effect because it just doesn't know how to translate that information. Right, right. So in uh, Bad Things, which is the book I just read from Michael Marshall Smith, and again, I recommend it. It is horror. He definitely knows how to come up with some pretty dark stuff, but also throw some humor in here and there. Um, This definitely has a vibe of like the Fae as well as some other stuff that I don't want to give too much of it away. But this paragraph I thought was really kind of like trying, it's kind of saying what I'm, what I'm explaining there. So the main character, as he's going into this woods, he's smelling something that's just awful. And he's like, I can't describe it. I don't know what it is, um, but it's terrible. And then he says, I knew it smelled my blood and now, I knew it smelled my blood now and recognized it. And I understood that I had, what I had perceived as a smell, I perceived that way only because my senses did not know what else to do with their shocked knowledge of this creature's presence, because it was a thing I could not see or touch, and that it was always beyond hitting or fighting or pushing away, so I didn't try. Oh, that is cool. So, like, I read that, and I thought, that, right there, like, that's your brain going, I don't know what this is, it just smells bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we give you some sense that this is around because we perceive it, but it's not in any physical way that you could typically interact with it? Right. And the knowledge that it smells my blood is, yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there, there's there's a lot more to that, obviously. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's it his stuff for me is very hard to put down. You know, it's one of those. I'm really tired. I don't think I can read anymore. Well, the next chapter is only five pages. Yes, yes, and then then it's uh, thirty five pages later. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> until the point where my brain, well, okay, my brain's not even processing this anymore. 
but yeah, everything I've read from him so far, uh, and that that was something else that I believe um, uh, Michael Fritzky, uh sent over to me was that because that was on my list, um, and 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 I found him. Just picked up the, I think it's the Straw Men book uh-huh. uh, at this used bookstore that, that that was closing, and he was giving away, you know, all the paperbacks and stuff that weren't really worth anything. And I picked it up, and I put it back, and I picked it up, and I put it back, and I was like, I don't know. And finally, you know, I said, okay, I'll, I'll grab it. And then I'm like, I'm probably not going to read it. And then for some reason, I was just drawn to read it. I was like, okay, the book I didn't think I even wanted, I think I'm going to read. Okay. And then I read it and was like, holy crap, who is this guy? Does he have more books? And then there were two more yeah. books to that that series, which was phenomenal um, and unique. And again, uh, like this stuff, he, he puts little things in there that, that makes it feel like he has a pulse on the genuine weirdness of the world, mm-hmm. you know, like that thing I just read. Yeah. Yeah. And Pargin, uh, Jason Pargin, who's also known as, uh, oh, what the hell was he writing under? He had a, he, oh, David Wong. Okay. So when he first published John Dies at the End, he wrote under the name uh, David Wong. And uh, that was the main character in John Dies at the End. He also worked for Cracked. Um, but like I said, he's very much a materialist. Uh-huh. But, but the John Dies at the End books in particular are very much, uh, they have a very paranormal, multidimensional thing going on. Yeah. Along with some crude humor. I don't know why he likes to include the crude humor in there. That part's not my favorite. But other than that, um, but uh, so like in this book, I, I took a couple of quotes out of this that, again, why, that, that, that I just felt had some depth to it. Like that other one about the devil being real. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So in this case, they're talking about these things that, that John can see and uh, the main character, David, can see, but not everyone could see it. And they're talking about uh, David's girlfriend, whose name I'm forgetting. And it says, if given enough time, she probably could also see them. It was a skill one could acquire with practice, the way mechanics can tell what, tell what repairs your car needs just by looking at how expensive your shoes are. Seeing these, entity, <laughs> seeing these entities had nothing to do with the anatomy of the human eye and everything to do with how the mind chooses to store memories. You might see it, but you won't remember seeing it even while you're actively looking at it. If you find that hard to grasp, keep in mind that you've forgotten 99.99% of your life up to this point. Can you remember the face of a single cashier you've ever interacted with? It's pretty good. Yes. And I mean, and that, that I've, I know I've mentioned that cashier thing before, um, but he's right. Most of our lives. And, and this is, this is why I say, you know, we say, oh, well, as you get older, time moves faster. It's like, no, you just don't really remember the stuff that's happening to you. Cause it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff. And you, you care less and less to remember it too. <laughs> so you have forgotten most of your life. You're just remembering those highlights and lowlights that, that, that go through and maybe some of the more recent stuff. Yeah, and and yeah. even the recent stuff, like I try to keep notes every day of the things I've done because uh, sometimes they're very handy to know when something happened. It's like, when did I do that? I can go back and look um, as, as well, of course, as paranormal stuff. And the thing is, like, it could be two days earlier and I'll be like, oh, I didn't I didn't write down what I did. And I'll just like go, I have no idea what I did that day. Like this. Yes, I, I understand. <laughs> like I did stuff, I'm sure, but like I, I have no specific memories of it. But again, this is why I think we feel life goes fast. So when I go and like look at all this stuff, it's like, wow, there, there's a lot here that just doesn't really commit to memory because it's not important. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I mean, Soraya, I live in a perpetual state of things that happened the other day. <laughs> yes. Because, I, yeah. you know, I didn't document when they were going on, and it, the other day could be three days ago. It could be six <laughs> months ago. You know, it's just the other day. Um, you know, but back to your point about being, like, plugged into this, like, I almost feel like you would have to, like, be doing the research and things to even hit on these, the, the, you know, these concepts. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but, you know, the other end of that, is, you know, this is something that, Chris has talked about a lot when you're plugged into certain creative energies. um, You know, some of this stuff I think comes through even unknowingly. Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. And so maybe that's part of it too. You know, it's just one of those things that uh, uh, it's an intuitive knowledge that, you know, uh, he thinks he's created, but really, you know, he's, he's pulling out of the, the universal ether unconscious and everything else all at once. Yeah, uh, there, there, there's another insightful line that uh, was just one sentence, basically one sentence that says, being a teenager means feeling like you're alone. Getting older means realizing you never were. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I really liked that. I do too, I do too. Because that's the thing, as a teenager, you're feeling like, oh, no one understands. But then as you get older, you start realizing, oh, everyone kind of feels that way. Yeah, yeah, everybody's dealing with that. <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. Um so at the mm-hmm. end at the end of his book, so I'm going to go uh back to the previous book uh which okay. was uh I'm forgetting it's a novel of cosmic horror. I can't remember the first part of it. But anyway, he says um some of my fan mail from readers who do who do not believe these books are entirely fictional seeking advice because they themselves he- see or strange things uh, see or hear strange things others cannot. To them, I want to make it clear that I have never encountered the supernatural, and I do not expect to in this lifetime. The creatures that roam these pages are either from my imagination or from the long tradition of horror tales humans have been telling each other over campfires since the advent of the written word. I believe that anyone can see a ghost, a monster, or a shadow person under the right circumstances. The brain is an imperfect organ and it misfires from time to time. If, however, you see unnatural things that frighten you or interfere with your life, I would urge you to see a doctor. We know as many we know as a matter of scientific fact that the entities that stalk you are almost certainly the result of a treatable condition. Your doctor will not mock you or demand you be restrained or banished to an island of misfits. You will not be their first such patient, and in fact, they've probably seen your situation enough that they don't even find it particularly interesting anymore. About 1 in 20 adults say they've had at least one hallucination, and that's just the ones who will admit it. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Often the greatest difficulty faced by people, people suffering from mental illness in society's inexcus- is society's inexcusable ignorance of the subject. So there's a lot to unpack there. There is, there is, yeah. Because uh, to I- s- he basically he's saying the paranormal doesn't exist if you're seeing shadow people or whatever you're you're mentally ill. Yeah, and I, I appreciate the perspective of support if you're having mental health issues and you know it, it's fine to go find help. It will help. Exactly, you. I appreciate exactly. that. But yeah, also Mike, I don't think that means you're mentally ill. Um, right, and, and yes, there there are some people who are going to hallucinate this stuff. But yeah, there's also yeah. enough people who have seen this stuff and have some level, you know, where multiple people experience something or there's hard physical evidence, not necessarily explaining what it is, but that something happened. 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. And there, there are times where, you know, I've had stuff and when I go to my doctor, I'm like, by the way, have you ever heard of this? And she'll look at me and be like, nope. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like just, well, just yeah. checking. <laughs> yeah. And you know, we, we've talked about this some on the show. It, it, it depends. Like, is it interfering with your life and your ability to function and things like that? Right. Yeah. Uh, and it, it might even be adding to your life. Right, um, right. You know, and, and so those are always things to consider. I always love hearing Greg Bishop talk about, you know, when he was feeling like he was being uh, uh, like gang stalked or harassed or yep, whatever. Yep. And, you know, one day he just decided like, I'm done. I, I, I'm done. I don't care. Yeah. It doesn't bother me anymore. And, Jeff, and then it all went away, essentially. Yeah, And Jeff Ritzman um, kind of did the same thing. He just stepped away from it. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, that's a perfectly reasonable way to uh, engage with the phenomenon and be like, well, you know, I'm going to take a step back. Um, but as long as it doesn't bother you and it adds some color to your life and some richness, then that, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, well, that's uh, it. And and just assuming, because you've never had what you consider a paranormal experience, that everyone else is imagining it or yes, having hallucinations. Yes. Again, like I said, he's a very much a diehard materialist. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it, I felt like in the in the new book, he kind of uh, he kind of lightened it a little bit. Hmm. And he says, because uh, th- this is the afterwards in these books where he's just doing personal stuff. Um, and then he says, so in the latest book, the fourth book in the John dies at the end series, he says, every book in the series has in at least one of its editions carried some sort of the following disclaimer. None of the supernatural elements or events described in the book is based on reality. The shadow people are not real as far as I know. And I don't Mm. personally believe that any kind of ghosts or demons interfere with our daily lives. I like how he said that. Like you, you, there's there's a slight shift there. Right, right. As far as I know. Yeah. Um. I try. I try to take time to say this now, now and then, because I have absolutely received fan mail over the years from readers who believe otherwise. This mm-hmm. is because shadow people do routinely turn up in visual hallucinations, and that's true. Um. Mm-hmm. I understand the phenomena to be caused by a misfire in a part of the brain that senses the location of other people nearby signaling that a person in the room with you uh, is in the room with you, but substituting a blank figure in the absence of any visual feedback. Note that I'm not a scientist and I'm probably explaining that incorrectly. Others have seen similar shadowy figures during episodes of a well-known phenomenon called sleep paralysis. Also true. uh, In which a person Uh wakes up enough to be conscious and aware, but not quite enough to stop dreaming. It's always good to keep in mind that just because lots of people have seen a thing doesn't mean it's it necessarily exists. We're all experiencing a world uh, through similarly similarly flawed brains and sense organs. Yes. So again, there's a slight shift in his attitude between the previous books and this one, where he's being a little more uh, less of an a-hole about it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He says... If you are experiencing any kind of unnatural phenomena that is causing you distress or interfering with your life, please talk to your doctor. It is objectively far more likely a misfire in your senses than a real malicious entity determined to torment you. If you truly believe your home is haunted, well, to my knowledge, history has not recorded a single death, injury, or illness at the hands of a ghost, so it may be one of those problems you just have to learn to manage. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And I'm like, okay, so okay, so the other book is what the hell did I just read? A cosmic of a uh, novel of cosmic horror. <laughs> but you know, like, so there, there's a, a he he's leaving a little room in the in the latest book for. I mean, these things could be real. They're probably not, but they could be. Right, right. And, and he's not wrong in some of that. I mean, that that that's interesting. I hadn't heard the thing about the the you know, sensing someone in the room and, and not seeing them. But I've seen shadow people dead on. Yeah. You know, and so have other people. And I've been in situations where other people have seen the same shadow people right in front of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not a misfire of synapses or something like that. But there are definitely times where I could say, yeah, I don't know what that was. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, like one one of the the favorite stories people have that I tell. I know Josh really loved it. Was was what we coined uh, the evil corn monkey. Oh, where I, I was I walking along the field and there was a really oppressive feeling, and as I turned, I saw what looked to be like this this distorted, grotesque monkey walk out of the field, and then it just disappeared. And I went, okay, it's it, like it sent chills through me. You know, like I was, yeah. I it hit uh, that fight or flight instinct was about to kick in, and then it disappeared. And I went, What's a, it, "There's a breeze. The corn stalks are moving. It very well could have just been matrixing." Yeah, yeah. You know, because I also had that oppressive feeling in that area. So maybe it was something. Maybe there was something there, and that's what my brain interpreted it as, as. Or maybe because of the oppressive feeling, my brain just invented something out of those moving corn corn stalks in the dark. You know, mm-hmm, so there mm-hmm. are things in my life where, yeah, I don't know if there was anything actually there. Like I always leaned away from it saying that it was anything there. But when I read, you know, when I was working on the book, my autobiography yeah. on this and I read that stuff, I was like, oh, it definitely had more of an impact than I realized. Interesting. And again, but mm-hmm. real and not real, it still affects people. It does. It does. And, you know, Josh, in, you know, and I talked about this more than once where you know, you'll have some folks, it's, it's a comment that I appreciate. And then it, Josh pointed out to me that it also can be condescending. Um, I, we were talking about that Sasquatch documentary about the, uh, drug trade in uh, California and the people that went missing there. And, yeah, you know, and that the, the local story was that Sasquatch had killed them, but it was actually a, you know, probably a, a gang killing. Um, and the guy that reported on all of it and covered it at the end says, you know, like, I think they think they saw something, that kind of thing. At the yeah, end, yeah. You know? And it was like, I, I see what he means, you know, when Josh is saying, you know, that, that it kind of comes across as really condescending. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yep. Yep. But, but I also find myself doing it still where, you know, I'm like, whatever happened, it affected this person. And, you know, you have to treat that with, uh, some kind of, well, some kind, it, it deserves to be treated with, uh, empathy because something happened to them. Yes. Uh, you know, and as somebody who has had weird stuff happen to them regularly, their, you know, my whole life, then, you know, I'm like, yeah, weird things happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we got to take, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Quick mid show break here. Contact info first. And then a recommendation. Um, you can check out uh, everything Where Did the Road Go related at wheredidtheroadgo.com. That includes all the contact info, mailing address, emails, everything, all our social media, and an archive going all the way back to the first show. So everything is up there. If you want to find any of it, that's where to go, wheredidtheroadgo.com. You can also become a patron or give us a donation. 
Uh, my Amazon wish list is up there, all kinds of stuff. So there's plenty to look through. It's also searchable. So if there's something you're looking for, there is a search bar that will help you find it. Also, if you are into heavy music, I also host The Last Exit for the Lost every week. And uh, that is at www.thelastexit.org. Again, there's a huge archive there of shows. It's a six and a half hour heavy music show. It's not just a metal show, but there's other heavy music involved, as well as uh, movie reviews and, and other fun stuff mixed in. Uh, band interviews, live band performances, a lot of exclusive stuff you will not find anywhere else. So if you're into heavy stuff, check us out. The Last Exit for the Lost, www.thelastexit.org. All right, as for a recommendation, I'm going to go with a movie I watched this week called The Creator. And it was done by the guy who did Rogue One, uh, which I also really like. That's kind of my favorite Star Wars movie at this point. Um, it's about AI, and uh, I don't want to give too much of it away. It's a fairly lengthy movie. It's very, very well done. For some reason, people were comparing it to Independence Day, which it's not anything like Independence Day. It's kind of um, it's kind of like AI gets to a point where we have AI living among us. They're distinctive. They, they, they more or less look like people, but it asks a lot of very good questions about um, what consciousness is, whether things like that can be sentient, etc. You know, like um, Westworld did a good job of this as well. Um, but in this, we have gone to war with New Asia uh, because AI nukes LA and AI on our side nukes LA. And uh, so we have decided that AI is bad. It must be eliminated, whereas New China continues to integrate with, with AI and we go to war with them. It's a really good movie. I wasn't sure what to expect going in. Um, and it's not even necessarily like, wow, this story is so perfect or anything like that. It's, it's the way it addresses some of these questions that I liked so much. Uh, yeah, there's a few things that seem like, oh, that could have been done better or whatever. But the special effects are fantastic. The, uh, the war scenes are very jarring. It's, uh, yeah, it's a really good movie, so check it out. It's called The Creator. All right, back to Where Did the Road Go? So I'm here with Super Saxon Inframan. <laughs> hello, hello. And we're talking about, I guess, reality and perception and the paranormal. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and you have that, um, that imaginal sort of thing, too, where... Uh, which is uh, Patrick Harper's whole thing, you know, mm -hmm. that there exists this this dimension of things that aren't entirely real, but aren't entirely imagination. So they're imaginal. They're 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 in between, and that's where mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff seems to reside. And w when we're talking about like you know, you were saying you know oh uh, you know saying it's kind of condescending when someone says, well, I believe they think they saw something or something like that. Right, right. I I always assume that people did did see something. Now the, the, the cause of what they saw, I, I don't know. You know, someone might be, well, I, I saw space aliens. Okay. Well, maybe you did, but maybe you did. Yeah. You know, you can't prove that as, and you know, I don't necessarily agree with the interpretation, I guess is what I'm trying to say, but right, it's their right, interpretation yeah. and they can interpret it however they want, however they need to. And I could be completely wrong. I try just not to overinterpret the stuff because I think it puts limitations on it. Right, yeah. So you see something in the sky that moves and you think, ooh, spaceship, but it's like I'll say, ooh, nope, that's a thing in the sky that moved that shouldn't have been there. 
Yeah. And I'll leave it at that. You know, like the, the tree shaking thing, I had people say, well, it was an invisible Bigfoot. And I get where that's coming from. I get where that's coming from more now than I did once when it was initially uh, suggested. But mm-hmm. I would never label it that because I don't know what it was. Right. And right. the minute I start looking at it as a singular thing, I'm, I may miss connections elsewhere. Right. So, um, so it, and, and the thing is, when Parjan is talking about some of these things, uh, like sleep paralysis, um, oh, what was his name? Louis, uh, oh, I can't remember his name now. He wrote a book on sleep paralysis, and uh, okay. I had him on for his book on spontaneous human combustion. Okay. I, I'm trying to remember his name now. He's I from Australia. He's actually stopped doing research on it. I guess his fiance didn't want him investigating the stuff anymore. Um, Louis Proud. Okay. And uh, so his first book was on sleep paralysis. And when he did the book on sleep paralysis, he came to the conclusion that, you know, about 50% of these our actual paranormal experiences when he was on the show and I had asked him about it. He said, yeah, he goes at this point, I'd say maybe 25%. He's like, but there's definitely encounters that do not fit the, you know, you're, you're awake, but still dreaming mode. Right. Um, and that's the thing. It's like, you look at some of this stuff and the, the ability of this stuff sometimes to transfer from one person to another. We covered that on our series on the, uh, the nightmare documentary, docudrama uh, that came out, where mm-hmm. you know someone would transfer their sleep paralysis to their partner. Yes. Well, that yes. shouldn't happen if it's just a matter of your brain misfiring. I mean, that's not. It's not like that. That's something that that jumps from one person to another, unless we're dealing with something that's that's an unusual energy. Right. Well, you know, in, in like my experience with shadow people, uh, the the one we always saw in the house that uh, I first lived in with my before my parents and I moved to another place because too many weird things were happening in that house. Uh, we lived in that place from when I was born till I was about six years old, and we all saw that thing during the day. Yeah, and it looked like it was a flat silhouette drawn with uh, a charcoal, a piece of uh, drawing charcoal. You know, so it was like textured. And just like when you take a piece of flat art charcoal and drag it across a page, like it had that sort of dimension to it. Yeah. But the the shadow people that I felt like I dealt with a lot in my early 20s when I lived in this uh, uh, little rent house duplex looked more like a true outline of a person silhouette, not as scraggly, um, but more like proportion like a human being and not scraggly and elongated and, and right. things like that. Right. But for me, both of them fall into the description of what a shadow person is. Um, oh, and I, I should say the ones that look more like people were the ones that I, I had like the uh, kind of like sleep paralysis experiences with where I would wake up and that would be standing in the corner of the room and I would be trying to like open my eyes uh, because I was couldn't move and struggling to see if I could even like pry my eyes open with my fingers, you know, and all of that. Because it was just such a weird experience. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, you know, those are, if you told me that those sleep paralysis experiences in the duplex I lived in were uh, all hallucinations, I would say that's possible. Yeah. You know, even though they were really intense and they were not brief. Uh, but if you told me the ones that were in that first house that, you know, my parents and I lived in and all the other weird stuff happened and we moved because it was weird. Uh, you know, I'd be like, I don't know. We all saw that thing during the day. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh, different times. Uh, 
it was not in a, a sleep state or hypnagogic uh, uh, experience or any of that. And and but the thing is, again, this comes back to the fact that we're dealing with like this almost like soup of mm-hmm. real and unreal and interpretation and expectation and you know it, as he says misfiring brains because they're imperfect organs they're not you know they're not giving you an exact reading of what's there mm-hmm. and, and we mm-hmm. don't know how much we affect the reality around us so how much are we putting out there without realizing that we're putting it out there and how much of it yeah. is is independent of us and an actual other trying to in some way interact with us Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it and it all blends together. There's no like strict lines or barriers or borders. And a right. lot a lot of these things, you know, like yes, yeah, some of it's probably hallucination. Some of it's probably hypnagog. You know, hip, it's hypnagogia, and I forget what the other one is. Um, yeah. But then there's 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 ones that almost certainly are not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Every light we in this every weird light in the sky is not going to turn out to be. Uh, a plasma intelligence or an alien or something like that, but some of them maybe. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. What what I'm curious about, and and I thought about this earlier, and we got down to different roads and uh, what we were talking about. But you know, I think we're pretty close to where you know we would have the ability uh, to record everything we see uh, somehow digitally or something like that. As you know, we're seeing people play around with brain implants and and what have you. And what that's going to be like, because, you know, it will record a version of reality for whatever that piece of uh, recording equipment is set up to interpret. Right. Right. Light bouncing off stuff, whatever that, you know, visual spectrum is, things like that. And what that will do to help us and also make it very hard for us to talk about these things, because, you know, it's going to impose that version of reality, too, when you go back and look at it. Yes. Um, and so do we disregard these things more or does it put us in a position where we have to start saying, like, you know, we, we need to find other ways of perceiving what's around us. Maybe there are things happening that we're not recording. Right. And and if our senses are are substituting. So when you're yes. see, you're seeing something that's not actually there, but it's the only way your brain has to. Uh, inform you of it is to give you this visual that a camera mm-hmm. is not going to see because it's not actually something visually there. Right. Right. Exactly. And it, it, yeah, it gets, it's, it's a very complicated thing, which I think is why we've made so little progress on it over the last, you know, however many hundreds of years people have been looking into this stuff. It's, we get little pieces of it, but we're not, the bigger picture partially comes down to how we perceive reality. Yeah. 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 And, you know, oh, my gosh, Sarah, there was something you said a second ago that, that kind of comes back around to this and how we perceive reality. Oh, I may have lost the thought. Um, anyway, anyway, I don't know yes. what that's like. <laughs> I've been hitting it a few times. It happens. Yeah, me too. Just a couple. <laughs> Um, so, uh, as far as, uh, J- you know, Jason Pargin's stuff, his, it's, uh, his books are brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. no, no, no I, like I said, he's probably my second favorite author at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, all four jo- John, John dies at the end of his book. Uh, John dies at the end books are incredible and they have that paranormal vibe. He did, uh, he has three in the Zoe Ash series, which, what you're talking about is kind of interesting because 
in that it's slightly in the future. It's not really paranormal at all. But Uh uh they have what's called blink. And everyone has cameras on everything all the time. Okay. And algorithms determine what people are seeing. Oh, interesting. So there's just, there's like no sense of like privacy. I mean, everyone knows what everyone's doing because you can just tune into their blink. Mm-hmm. And the cameras mm-hmm. are tiny, you know, they're, they're, they're like little insects flying around and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so those books are great too. There's three of them, which I had recommended two of them. And someone, I think it was one of my patrons said, there's a third book. It just came out and it, it did. It came out on Halloween and I just started it. And then that's also pretty interesting. Um, but like I said, there's no paranormal stuff in there, but it does have that dystopian sort of idea of like, what happens when everything is being, because that's where we're going. That's the direction we're heading. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. You know, everything is on, is on video. Everything is right there for everyone to see. Like rea- reality becomes a reality show. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. So um, at the, en- at the end of, uh, if this book, book exists, you're in the wrong universe. Uh, there's a cult in the book that they sort of take care of and they decide to lay out these, these principles for the cult. And this, this is sort of an aside out at the end of the book, like a little appendix. And uh, I just wanted to read some of it because it's actually very, very good. Uh, the first commandment was everyone calm the F down. It says humans act like a-holes when they're scared. Anyone who's trying to keep you scared all the time just wants to breed more a-holes into the world. Don't let ah. them do it. Exactly 100% of religious apocalypse predictions have turned out to be hilariously wrong. The odds of the next one being true seem pretty low. If you truly think you've somehow stumbled stumbled across a superior way to live, there is only one way to spread the word. Live that superior life and let others see how cool, happy, and successful you are. They'll spend the rest of their lives trying to imitate it. If they choose not to, just calm the F down and let them. So this also this also reminded me that there is a uh, there was someone who po- who tweeted something like disclosure is imminent you might as well quit your job because the entire world is about to change yeah that yeah and I'm like oh man really really do you really believe that um, yeah. so number two on here is you don't have all the answers and that's okay. Every human believes in some kind of simplified grand theory of everything that explains existence. The problem is that there are multiple competing theories. In fact, there are about 7 billion of them, one for every human on earth. Admit that the odds are pretty slim that you have it exactly right. Uncertainty is scary. It's also impossible to eliminate uncertainty from the universe. So you need to learn to just cope with it instead of trying to pretend you know everything. If you embrace the grand theory of everything that gives you permission to treat other people like poop, it's likely that it started with the urge to treat other people like poop and just worked backwards to form your theory. Open your yes. eyes. Open your eyes, dude. They're not heretics. They're your neighbors. <laughs> I love all of that. Yes. That's, the, well, that's why I wanted to read it because it, I, it's, it's very profound in the way he, he's written it. Um, mm-hmm. and number three is never forget that you are meat. Uh, the only thing we know for sure about our possibly simulated world is as that we are experiencing it via meat. All your thoughts are running through meat. And therefore a lot of what you're perceiving about the universe is just meat stuff. Feel like the world is doomed. There's a good chance that that's only because your meat isn't getting enough sleep. 
mad at everyone. It might just be that your meat is hungry. In a state of panic, take breaths. You might just not have enough oxygen in your blood. If the world feel feels off to you, always check your meat first. Your meat needs physical and emotional contact with other meat. Humans are social animals, and you need to uh, need a pack to call your own, whether it's friends, family, or whatever. Do you find your mind going to dark, freaky places if you spend too much time in a quiet room? That's just loneliness corrupting your meat. If your current group makes you feel miserable, find a different one. Don't try to go it alone. Unless you're a toddler, you shouldn't need a list of rules of what exactly what exactly you should or shouldn't do every day. Your meat has impulses and some of them cannot be satisfied without harming yourself or others. Deep down, you know, which ones those are. This is a battle you'll be fighting every day of your life from now until you die. And you have to take each situation as it comes. The good news is you're not alone. Billions of other people are going through the exact same thing. And believe it or not, most of them are trying their best. We're all in the same boat, united by meat and our desire to be something more. Now turn off whatever machine you're reading this on and go the F outside. Ah, I love it. So that's, you know, like, like, like this is the thing with Jason. It's like, he writes this stuff and I'm like, I agree with you hundred percent. And then he says, oh, paranormal stuff is bunk. It's like, you lost me. You lost me. Why, 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 why are you so close minded about this stuff? Yeah. And you know, I always wonder too. If it may simply be uh, keeping some distance uh, for his professional life, you know, I don't know. I I think I think some people, I don't know. I I feel like they're para paranormal phobic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like who's who's the skeptic who had the experience with the, the, the watch starting at his grandfather's funeral or whatever? I mean, it was something that he absolutely said, yeah, this should not have happened. This was like. Was it Michael Shermer, I think? And he, uh, that's right. I'm not sure. I vaguely remember this. Yeah, and he, he right right out front said, "Yeah, I don't. You know, this was this was basically a paranormal experience." And then he went right back to his debunking. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, you, you you didn't learn from this, you know. And even when you get some of these people, you show them the scientific evidence, um, which of which there's a quite a deal bit of scientific evidence for things like psychic abilities and stuff. And they're still like, well, no, that's not good enough. Right, right. You they're know? they're going to stick with their dogma even though. Yeah. yeah. The, their belief system is this isn't real. And I don't know if that's because th- this stuff scares them. Because it adds a layer of complete unknown to their world. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, the unknown is scary. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and that was one of those things uh, uh, I, I appreciated in the, I know I've mentioned it before, the Netflix uh, Encounters documentary. You know, it, it uh, news brought up in there that maybe we don't talk about these things because we're just afraid to deal with them and it makes life way too complex. So we just choose not to. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that's it. We have, we also have enough stuff going on in our lives, uh, that's stressful. And, you know, some people just, they, they don't want that added. What if, you know, what if there are spirits around us all the time? You know, what if yeah. there's this other trying to communicate with us? Well, I can't pay my bills, so I don't care. You know, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, and that's understandable. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, when I read that tweet about the guy saying you should quit your job because dis- dis- uh, disclosure is imminent. Yeah. It it to me that that's you know you've seen this from obviously religions, 
you've seen it. I think it was, was it Ramtha that, that like predicted the end of the world and had everyone go to her, her ranch or whatever and give over yeah. all their worldly belongings because the world was going to end and then it didn't, you know, yes. and you have, you know, UFO cults who have, you know, killed the, like, like what is it? The, uh, heaven's gate cult who killed themselves because there was the yeah. UFO coming on the, on the, the comet None of this stuff yeah. ever paid. Like, like, like he said in that thing, 100% of these predictions have been wrong. Never come true. Yeah. I mean, to think that, that there's going to be UFO disclosure and it's going to, you know, that, that world's not going to be able to function like it did. It's, it's delusional to say the least. I, I think so. I think so. Um, you know, the, the, the truth of it is, you know, disclosure happens tomorrow. We find out there's zero point energy. Oh, they're not going to let us have it. Right. You know, exactly. I don't mean they as in like, you know, extraterrestrials. I mean, the governments and businesses of the world, <laughs> you know, they're, they're going to find a way to make sure that it costs more for us than, uh, gasoline and then other ways of power production. The, the economy is not going to collapse because it's manipulated and, right. you know, we're forced into these areas. So, yeah, it, it's a cool thought. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we have to be a little bit more realistic about like it It would not be that type of impact. No. Uh, because no. they wouldn't let it be that way. And and even if it was, you know, oh, we have the, the bodies of extraterrestrials and their ships. First of all, there'd be a whole bunch of people who didn't believe them. Because, you know, the, yeah. gov the government always lies. So why would you believe them? Except for the right. people who want them to say that, in which case now those people are totally going to believe what they say. Yeah. And, and, oh, yeah. And, go ahead. Right. And I was going to say, and what level of evidence is going to convince some people? Right. Well, you know, and, and we're we're wired now to, if certain people believe something, to automatically, you know, disagree with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it would be, uh, it would be a mess and it would be obnoxious probably and ruin the joy of it. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. Uh, it's just the same, it's the same thing again. That's the thing. And mm -hmm. I, I saw that and I was just like, it just bugged me because it's like, come on, man. And there's so much more interesting stuff to talk about. Than yeah. whether the government's going to give us disclosure. And yeah, it would probably be energy related, not alien related, if some kind of disclosure mm -hmm. came out. Um, but it's also like, you know, they, they, they keep working on pills to for immortality, basically, you know? And it's like, yeah. oh, we may achieve immortality within our lifetime. It's like, cool, but it won't be for us. It'll just be for the ultra rich. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So In the, fact, I saw an article like two weeks ago about, uh, you know, they reverse the aging process in mice. Yes. Oh yeah. And it's like, you know, I'm like, great. Um, we can't afford it. Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. I'm pretty sure Elon that Musk won't be covered by your health care plan. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like my insurance doesn't cover that. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're a millionaire, Hey, you can continue to ruin the world for that much longer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you'll care a little more about the future because you may actually experience it. <laughs> we got to, we got to do something about all this damage we've done. Right. Or, or, I mean, you may just have so much money in when you live that long too, that you're, uh, you know, you'll just go somewhere else. <laughs> that's, that's true. That is very true. <laughs> Leave you guys to deal with it. See y'all later. <laughs> all right. We are out of time, but I, I think I'm, I'm, I think this was a very good, wandering of the road 
Yeah, this was a ton of fun. So uh, thank you, Saxon. Uh, always glad to do it. And if people want to hunt you down and uh, find, yeah, you, find know, you, the, and... you can you can always tag me on the Discord, and then I lurk around Instagram fairly often. Uh, I'm on there under Super Inframan. All right, awesome. Where did the road go? Is brought to you by our Patreons. And I'm going to give a shout out to all my Patreons right here because you really do help make this possible. And a special shout out to those pledging $10 or more. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Leanne Cherry, Matt in Delaware, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Tim, Midnight Review presents Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain. Patricia Guy Quinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Andrew Malone, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Bright Rectangle, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy Incommunicable, CJ, Greg Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, Todd B., J, J. Otto Bullet, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K., MJ Armstrong, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Oli Andre Olar, Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls, Stacey Sherwood, Stevie Norman, Strange Stories with the Seeker and the Skeptic Podcast, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Varosh K, Vincent Trewell, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, TDT Skunkworks, and Craig Sagastumi. Thank you all so very, very much. We do an extra Patreon segment as well after this conversation. So if you enjoyed what we were talking about, we, we continue it for Patreons. You, you can become a Patreon at wheretherogo.com by clicking on the big Patreon link. You can also give one-time donations, uh, find all our contact info, etc., etc. wheretherogo.com. All right. I want to welcome a new Patreon this week, Todd B. And I'd also like, like to thank Perry Peters for upping their membership level. So thank you much, uh, Perry and Todd. I hope you enjoy the new content, the extra content that you will find here fairly regularly. It's only $3 a month. Helps us out a lot. Um, to take you out, we are going to hear something new from uh, a band called Dead Harrison. They played our studio over the summer, uh, and then they hung out for an episode of The Last Exit, which you can find at thelastexit.org. They... Uh, from, they're from New Hampshire, and they have, they just released a new song called Monolith Lord, and it's really freaking good. Uh, I was very impressed with their performance in studio. That was the first time I saw them live, and then I saw them the next day at a show in Waterloo, uh, which is what they were here for in the first place. And uh, yeah, they have a great stage presence. They're really cool people, and this song rocks. As I said, it's called Monolith Lord, and this is Dead Harrison. I'll see you next time. What was this amazing power that could turn people into stone? 
that could suddenly turn inanimate rocks, stones, monoliths into growing, spreading, expanding monsters threatening to engulf whole towns and cities, to bury all civilization under an immensity of weight beyond all calculation.
You have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support.